Hello Podgoblins, it is Tom here. Just a very quick note at the start of this live episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast to say that this podcast is available in video format, which means if you want to see the slides we're referring to or to just boo along at home like you're really there, then that's available on the Shut Up and Sit Down YouTube channel. Also, I'll just drop a mention in here that this is the first of two live podcasts we recorded at PAX Unplugged, and the second will be available early next year when we're back to the regular content schedule. We'll also be uploading a live game show that we did with the folks over at Board Game Barrage. That one was a lot of fun, and you'll expect to see that on the YouTube channel too over the festive period. So that's it for this year, and I hope you enjoyed the new weekly schedule and the many podcasts that we whispered into your ears. If you enjoyed any of those minutes and are feeling generous, then please feel free to write us a review to help us reach more listeners. And if you're feeling super generous, then we are currently running our Christmas donation drive. Donations are what keeps this company bobbing along and making stuff, so if you've got some spare change and want to support us, then head over to shutupandsitdown.com donate to help support the content that you love. Or, or like. Let's just stick to like. And finally, finally, if you've got any suggestions for the podcast, things you like, things you didn't like, please do direct any bracingly honest emails to tom at shutupandsitdown.com. I can't promise I'll get back to you, but I can promise I'll do everything in my power to make this podcast just a little bit better every episode. Thanks, everyone, and on with the pod! Hello, welcome to the very 165th episode of the Shut Down Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a bunch of board games, and I'm going to be leaping in with a chat about a game called Castle Party from Devere, the publisher that keep putting things into increasingly slightly smaller boxes that continue to delight me. This is kind of a game on the side of saccharin that I usually wouldn't be into at all, if I'm entirely honest. It is about you putting together a nice party for a bunch of quite cute-looking vampires, skeletons, and Frankensteins. And the way it works, effectively, is you have a little board in front of you which has your little castle that you're going to be throwing a party in, and everyone has pens and dry erasers, markers, basically, to be writing on different cards that are going to be popping up in order to get all of the different types of things at this party to hang out together and have a nice time. As we know, anyone who's ever been to a party, vampires don't want to hang out with skeletons. And everyone gets very exclusive, and all the witches just stand in the corner being sassy. And effectively, it's not a roll and write, and it's not really even a flip and write, it's I don't a flip think. And, it is a flip and fill. I don't think it is a flip and fill. <laughs> if there are any fills in the And I'll fight Phil to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> I keep flipping fills until there's no fills to flip. Effectively, the way this game works is, yeah, all right, there is a flip... All right, going back on my own thing immediately. You flip a thing... <laughs> <laughs> And then you have a card that basically shows you a little tetromino that you're going to have to collectively around the table fill with guests that you're then going to have to draw somewhere on your board. Now, the way this works effectively is that you get a shape, but you only get to choose one of the guests in that shape. And you have to start off by putting a card from your hand of three, which has these lovely little illustrations on, which show you here, you've got like lovely, cute little things. Again, it's, not, it's kind of not my thing, but I'm not going to be mean about it because it is obviously very nice and allowing you to basically go, look, I really want loads of vampires, so I'm going to start with a vampire. And then you go around the table, and everyone else fills it up with ghosts. And you're like, well, I hate all of you. I don't want this many ghosts. But the really neat thing about this is you play this around the table in a way that means that the shape 
you get to orient this tetromino however you like, and you get to put in the first type of thing in a set position within that, but then everyone else, once it's set in space, has to then put it somewhere onto their board in a way which aligns in correctly in terms of where they're sitting around the table, which means you can't like do that thing you usually can of being like, we've well, got the shape, rotate it however you want. It's like, no, this is the shape, these are the things that it's composed of, you have to fit it somewhere into this awful tiny party. So you can kind of think of it like Tetris, but A, you can't rotate the shapes, and B, every individual square in Tetris is, is a person with individual needs and desires. And some of them are really important. You have like a VIP ghost that wants to be surrounded by other ghosts, but damn if I can make that happen, because this is hell. Um, I really, really love this, um, in the fact that it, it seemed to provide lots of horrible, wonderful choices. The fact that you were constantly rotating things around um, and allowing you to look around the table and go, what is everyone else going to be stuck with if they get this horrible wobbly shape with something at the end that nobody wants? Yeah, so to clarify, this is a game with one of the sweetest looking visuals that, you know, like one of the, it, it's the first game in a long time where I've been looking at the art and just pouring over the details. So sweet, so cute. And Matt was crunching while playing it harder than I have ever seen him, like almost harder than I've ever seen him work. Matt had an expression on his face like he'd been tasked with writing a will with like five minutes before he was shot. <laughs> and it was like whether he could fit a skeleton next to a boombox. Well, no, but that was it. That was not the thing. It wasn't me going, how am I going to fit a skeleton next to a boombox? It was me frantically writing a will in which... In my will, I was trying to have one of you killed. <laughs> <laughs> right, because you were looking at our boards and trying to give us a shape that none of us could use. Effectively, there's one type of thing in this outside of the, I say, the, the four things we've shown you in terms of the four kind of classes and suites of these things, the Frankensteins, the skeletons, the witches, and the vampires. You've also got unicorns, and unicorns effectively, if you can't get the unicorns together, if all over your board you just have individual unicorns, then you lose five points at the end of the game. Oh, okay. Are we going to get into this? We well, this, is, this was my favorite thing about the game, in the fact that it was kind of the thing where, yes, I'm making a choice that's good for me, but if in the process I can make a choice which is actively bad for everyone else, and that's what I was crunching on. I wanted everyone else to have a terrible unicorn party whilst uh, mine was bopping. Okay, right. So we can bring Tom and Ava in here, because there's a mechanic in this game that Matt and I got into a real argument about during our game of Castle Party. So the if you don't put unicorns in a group in Castle Party, it's negative five points, okay? Everything else you do in the game, like, you know, putting ghosts next to the mirror ball because the mirror ball reflects on their glossy, translucent skin, that gains you points. What I was trying to tell Matt is there is no difference between if you screw up the unicorns, you lose five points, and if you screw up the unicorns, you get zero point. Like, the, the minus five, but, okay, so the unicorn score, <laughs> minus five, zero, five, ten. Yeah. That is the same game as if they score zero, five, ten, fifteen. But Matt was like, oh, I can't get negative points. It's There's the no Lots of versions. Lots of versions of the Okay, Abe, so you're, you think this, this, uh, this is a real... It's, I mean, it's a thing. It's, you are right, technically. Yeah, that, we can stop there. That's like, fine. Well, no, because no, the thing but. is, like, I didn't do very well with my... Look, I'll just say it. I didn't do very well with my vampires. Okay? Like, I had a lot of witches We've hanging out there. together. My Frankenstein conga line was a thing. And that, it literally is a thing. That's a mechanic. Um, but... Again, if I didn't manage to do anything with one of those classes, it's fine because it wasn't costing me anything. I could ignore it. But if you ignore the unicorns, then you lose. That is worse. It's worse to ignore the unicorns than it is to ignore another class. No, it's not. Like, do we, do we have like mathematicians <laughs> like in the audience? Be, can, but... can you lose more than five points if you've got two lonely unicorns? Uh, no. 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 It, so yes, it's just but a score... also that's how brains work. That's what you're going to do. Yeah. 
Like, yeah, it's an emotional thing. Lonely unicorns. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Why would you do that? I don't know. I'd be fascinated at like if there's anyone who's a mathematician who plays that game to know if there is a difference because I think there is a difference. But again, I might just be wrong and it might be my brain. Um, Quinn's favourite thing about this game by far, and that's fair, is the fact that. As you can see on the thing above you, and if you can't see at home, I'll try my best to explain this, but around the outside of this hall where the party is pumping off, you have got some windows, which kind of like, basically nine squares that have a window at the edge of it with light beams shining out across the moat, which we'll come back to in a second. (laughs) And throughout the game, pandemic style, you're gonna go through this deck of cards, and at some point the game is gonna end when the third clock goes bong. But each time the clock goes bong, and it appeared to be a small man trapped inside a clock, which I'm into, you had to choose one of your bonuses. And it was either, there's a fireworks show, score all the spaces that are next to a window which have a person in. Yeah. Or, there's a conga line, so you just find the longest stretch of, of one type of people. Mm. Um, or, it's the Pumpkin King, which uh, he just turns up and you draw a crown on the board and the Pumpkin King is there and it's his party and everyone's like, yeah! <laughs> and you get points for everyone standing around it. I love the theme in this, a lot. And I did feel like it popped off. And the point for me where it really landed was the fact that around the edge of this board you have a moat. And by gosh, you need it. Because you can't rotate these things, sometimes you just have to chuck people in the moat. And the way it works is the shape just goes outside of the party, and anyone in the moat at the end, you lose a point. You can actually see on the, the slide you're looking at now, in the, in the top right, the Skeleton King showed up. The Skeleton King wants to be surrounded by skeletons, but at my party, there was just no room, so the Skeleton King got dunked in the water. Yeah. <laughs> and we were joking that, you know, when the fireworks display happens and the fireworks explode, all the people at the windows are like, wow, wait, what are all those people doing in the water outside? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very much a case of like, okay, well, they're going to go in the moat. But even in the moat, the alligators and the Loch Ness are all wearing party hats and sunglasses. So it's not the end of the world. And then there's also that wonderful middle ground where at the bottom, over the moat, you have a drawbridge to the castle. And it's like the people who get put on there, they don't fall in the moat, so it's not negative, but they're also not in the party, <laughs> which is just a lovely thing of being like, oh, hey, folks. Three ghosts and a vampire, that's fine. Hey, can you just wait outside? <laughs> ghosts, if you can come in, but if you just hold there for a second, you know, we'll let you in in a bit. Um, but yeah, this, this had me really crunching. It and, did, it did. I, I, I would say this is a really solid little flip and write. I would say it's a small box. It's got like just the most lovely theme and luscious art I've seen in a while. Mm. You know, if, if Castle Party sounds like your kind of thing, it's a cute little game. Didn't set my world on fire. I really liked it. And I especially really liked the fact that the power system of, of you have three powers you can use during the game. We won't go into them, but effectively it means that if anyone at the table uses a power in that turn and you choose in order whether or not you want to, then no one else can. And it meant early on people were really crunching over whether or not to use a power. They didn't care about that much just to stop someone else from rotating it. Because <laughs> it's knowing that if you don't stand up and go, okay, I'm doing a thing, then someone else might just go, you know what, actually, I'm just going to turn it by 90 degrees. And then everyone else goes, no. <laughs> um, Should we move I, from... Oh, I, just, I just like don't understand why this game is representing all of the most stressful bits of holding a party with social anxiety. <laughs> <and> <laughs> See Castle Party, I was like, yeah, let's have a party. And it's like, no. Yeah. No, now you're in it. Now you have to be doing this. Now, oh God, those people are meeting those people and I know that they hate each other. Well, it's not it's like in... a horrible wedding. You're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. This game could have been called Horrible Wedding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, horrible also has like an implication of undead. So. It yeah, certainly yeah, makes yeah. more sense at a wedding because at a party you will try and fail to integrate everybody together. But at weddings, you're just gonna leave people alone. Yeah, you're not yeah. gonna be like, hey, you, you folks have gotta meet like the groom's aunt. <laughs> I, I did that at my wedding. Okay. Um, <laughs> next up. 
We have the great Zimbabwe. Yes, from one of the uh, smallest, cutest boxes to one of the most uh, disturbingly large and horrible games I've seen. I didn't play this, though. Tom, no. you played it. I was going to say that this is we're going from one of the least expected crunchy games to one of the crunchiest possible games we could get our hands on. Um, the great Zimbabwe, though, asks the question, what if Food Chain Magnate was a bit less good, maybe? <laughs> it was made earlier on in Spotter's career, so, you know, we'll... We'll take it for that. Um, but in this game, what you're doing is you're building uh, basically a bunch of uh, infrastructure in the great Zimbabwe. Uh, what you'll see in a second on the slides is a sort of hex grid that represents the horrible planes that you're going to be building in. And what you're going to be doing is placing down monuments on this big blank board uh, to try and get points, every board gamer's favorite thing in the world. Um, in this game, you're going to try and get these goods, these ritual goods, to make these monuments bigger. And the way you're going to do that is by placing those little craftsman tiles that you can see on the board there. And those are owned by all the other players. You need to make some goods, you ship it to a monument, you can make the monument bigger and better, and it's really cool. The problem is, no one owns anything. Much like uh, Roads and Boats, which you guys talked about at the last PAX podcast 25 years ago. <laughs> um, I won't go into too many details here, but because um, it's a big, complicated game, we're probably going to save most of our chat about it for a later podcast. Yeah, we'll probably come back to this one, because it's interesting, but we know we will not do the explanation justice in yeah, this setting. Absolutely. Um, but the important thing about this game is that it looks very, I mean, it looks kind of simple. You build things, you get goods, you place them. The game then goes kind of nuts in the fact that everyone has powers that are like fundamentally game-breaking. Uh, so for example, you have these specialist tokens that you can get, or cards that you can choose to get. You get them once, no one else can have them ever again. Ava's one was lovely. You get to place more rivers and transport goods around. What a good more time. More rivers is like my favorite thing. Absolutely. And then Matt had a power where he could make a barn and put cows in it, and they became more cows in the love barn. It's a system. <laughs> it's a Only system. six cows may enter the love barn at any one time. And Eight may leave. Six Nine. Oh. <laughs> uh, my power, on the other hand, was to get around the really punitive zoning laws in the Great Zimbabwe. I could build my monuments wherever I got dang pleased. But also, alongside this, each player gets to pick a god, and the god has a power that is kind of also buck wild. So you might have a god power that lets you get around having to pay people for trade, or you might have my power, which is everyone pays you for trade for the whole game, or you might have a power that just says, I'm going to make the game ever so slightly easier to win, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, it's a weird game. Is it fun? I really like it. Well, of course I you do. I quite did. like it, but I do quite like unfun games. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I, to give the other side of it, I think that like this game feels to me like a cocktail of some other bits of Splotter, and I think I'm the person in the team who likes not Food Chain Magnate Splotter games the most. You're the one who tolerates Splotter's BS the best, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and if you like that sort of BS, there's loads of it in this game. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, it, it's got so many different things to think about, and I think it's really nice. I really love the economy. I also like... I can't, the reason I didn't get on with this game is like the most petty reason in the world, which is for a game that is all about trading cows, I don't believe there are the correct denominations of cows in the box. And it, oh my word, like you're having to like, you get a big pile of cows and you've got to split them up loads of times, like auctioned is going here, 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 and paying for stuff, you're going like, right, I'm paying you for that, and I'm paying you for that, and you for that, and having to make change yeah. out of cows, yeah constantly. You might as well say, I need change for a cow, and you go, okay, what do you need? 
five cows. Yeah. <laughs> that was a pretty common sentence. Yeah. And especially um, the fact that the five dominant denominations are just a different color but the same size, which yeah, again yeah, just yeah, really... Yeah, yeah. And for a game that requires you to do a load of mental gymnastics about like, right, I think I can do this. And if you get caught halfway through a job, retconning and going like, oh, actually, I can't do the whole thing. I have to take it all back. It's just a nightmare. Mm. It's just a horrible, horrible mess. But I really found it fun. There was loads of crunchy decisions. And like, I really want to play it again. It definitely I'm kind felt of worried like, that none of you do. It definitely felt like I was, I was scamming people or being scammed constantly whenever we did any kind of transaction. Yeah, and the fact yeah. is, like, I'll give you a cow, you give me five cows for that cow, and then we split that two cows into this two cows. Or we've run out of cows in the cow bin, so I'll use this cow token. Now, this is like represents two cows, so it's basically an IOU. Yeah. So I'll give you these two cow tokens <laughs> in exchange, you give me ten cows. It's like, I definitely felt like, I was like, what is happening? I can't do this. <laughs> but it was also yeah. super businessy for a game that was all like, and now we are sharing each other's tradesmen and we are carrying things. It was like, I was just talking about VC funding half the time, and it, it yeah, just yeah, made yeah, too yeah, much yeah, sense yeah, yeah. in a way that I was like, I don't know. I think the game was characterized by me on my first turn building a nice little mask shop where I was selling my own little masks, and then immediately Matt moves into town and builds a better mask shop that costs three times as much that I can no, no, I can no longer use anymore at all. Because yeah. Matt's got all the cows! Because of his cow barn! I crushed the economy. I wasn't trying to win. I was just trying to cause everyone else a lot of trouble. And it worked. And it worked. <laughs> <laughs> you were so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> So Thanks. annoying. Thanks. So, do we have anything else to say before we come? We're going to come back to the bigs, We're come bigs back to it, are we? Because we will not do it justice. Oh, no. And talking of doing it justice, oh, no. Quinn's now was the only one of us because this was during a time when I think me and Ava were locked in a. a no, no. We were playing the Great Zimbabwe, oh, screaming yeah. about cows. I know exactly what happened because I knew that you, you threw a setting up the Great Zimbabwe and I thought, oh, this is. This, I bet that game's going to be really challenging and difficult and weird. And I. Smart Quinns is going to have the superior time because there were people in the next room over playing Reef Encounter, the, uh, the 2004 game in which you play uh, or possibly work for parrotfish who eat coral reefs. And I thought, I've smashed this. I'm going to have the superior, sillier, more colorful, you know, uh, simpler time. Can't tell you how wrong I was. Holy crap. <laughs> like, uh, so it turns out Reef Encounter is designed by Richard Brees, who you might know for Keyflower. And if you've not played Keyflower, Keyflower is basically... Oh, it's, I'll, I'll describe it in the weirdest way possible. You have a player screen, which is a cottage, and it's a worker placement game, and all your workers live in the cottage. And so it's like, you're, like you've got this like Brady Bunch-style family of workers, and every day they go out, but not all of them come home. <laughs> and it's not even they, they just disappear or wander off. They go to your friends' houses. So the whole game is like divorced parents like squabbling over 400 children. Um, anyway, so that designer made Reef Encounter, and like just even... Five minutes into the rules explanation, I was like, oh no, this is real weird. Like, because it's partially based on the real zoology of reefs. And partially, it's a board game. So it just <laughs> kind of makes stuff up. And so you kind of learn more about reefs and learn less about reefs at the same time. I think I know less about reefs than before I was like this game. You did uh, do that thing when you were playing it, where when we came through the room, you were like, Matt, Matt, you've got to come here, you've got to come and look at this. And it wasn't, it was that classic tone where I was like, Quinn's is not going to want any advice or anything. He's just like, he's just, he needs someone else to see how much of a difficult time he is having. Just so, <laughs> just so he could explain how the game worked and show me the board, just so I could go, <sighs> and he could go, I know, right? <laughs> Right, so in terms of how, uh, also, yeah, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> um, so in the rules explanation, we had to go through the 10 different actions you might do on your turn. Uh, I'm going to read four of them uh, to the audience here so they have an idea of this game. Uh, action two, play a lava cube and associated polyptiles. <laughs> action seven, acquire and play one algae cylinder. 
action four, introduce a shrimp. <laughs> introduce a shrimp to who? <laughs> action nine, do none of the above. <laughs> Uh, and it gets even, there's an expansion for Reef Encounter released in 2006 called uh, Reef Encounters of the Second Kind. <laughs> uh, which adds, uh, among other things, unreliable shrimp, <laughs> algae indigestion, and a card that just reads confusion. <laughs> but it's not even just that this game is weird, it's just so hard. It's so hard. Turns out this is uh, played a lot at HeavyCon, which right. you can guess exactly what they play at that board game convention. Yeah. Um, so, why is Reef Encounter so hard, Quins? I'm, I'm trying to tell you. Okay, so it's not just, it's, it's a game about feeding your parrotfish reefs, right? Mm -hmm. but, but it's not. It's a game about trying to feed your parrotfish reefs. But to do that, you have to grow the reefs, and to do that, you have to protect them from other players' reefs being built over your reefs. How does that happen? Well, let me introduce you to the Reef Dominance Board. <laughs> so if you are growing out an orange reef, and then on the Reef Dominance Board, it turns out white is dominant for, over orange, and there's a white reef next to your orange reef, ooh, -ho -ho, you're in trouble. Game over. It's it could be game over unless your shrimp is protecting it, because the shrimps do a pretty good job of protecting it. Unless reefs. you're playing the expansion and your shrimp is unreliable. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. The unreliable shrimp is actually a subcategory of shrimp. Okay. Actually. I mean, I don't even know. I just think the unreliable shrimp is like an upcoming album I'm excited for. You used to play music under that name. Yeah, right? yeah absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, you, you, if you, so you're building an orange reef that, where white might be dominant. That's fine, because you can top the expression on Tom's face. <laughs> You explained this entire game to me in about five minutes, and I don't understand it then, and I do not understand it now. <laughs> you are basically just saying shrimp, shrimp. Shrimp, okay. shrimp, shrimp. Shrimp, shrimp, shrimp. Shrimp, shrimp, shrimp. Listen, shrimp. listen, shrimp. listen. Shrimp. Stop. Welcome okay. to Shrimp Up shrimp. and Shrimp Down. <laughs> Backstage, I was like, hey, everybody, I, I was the only one who played Reef Encounter. I don't want to talk alone for five minutes, so can you all chip in? Shrimp. I now rescind that request. <laughs> shrimp. Unfortunately, you're on the stage with some unreliable shrimps. <laughs> So, let's return to the ex stop clapping. <laughs> let's return, no, no. Let's return to the Thank example. <laughs> the example is you're building an orange reef and white, next to a white reef, the white reef is dominant. That's fine because you can spend an, I'm having to close my eyes to do this. It's fine, you can spend an algae cylinder to flip the dominance tiles, so orange is now dominant over white. Okay, then you can spend another algae cylinder to lock that dominance. Stop laughing, Matt. I'm just laughing at you entering your shrimp palace. <laughs> and then when you lock a dominance tile, so you permanently say orange is better than white, um, that means that orange becomes worth more victory points if you eat it at the end of the game. And the reason all this is so hard is that um, parrotfish, and again, this is just uh, the designer inventing it, parrotfish are messy eaters. So when they go, okay, I'm finally gonna eat this orange coral, the first four tiles of the coral are thrown away. There's a nom, 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 floating into now the like sea. the cookie monster. Yeah, so if you have a five tile coral, the first four tiles are binned. So it needs to be bigger. So ideally you eat like a six or a seven tile reef uh, but then if, if the bigger it gets, the more your little shrimp can't protect it, and then other people build over it. So it's actually got a little bit in common with like, I don't know, 18xx games or something where you're building infrastructure over one another. I just wanted to play with some wooden shrimp. Like, <laughs> yeah, I do. I think before you started playing, you came in and like, I think you held up one of the wooden shrimp to Tom, and you were like, this is what I'm playing. Uh, whilst we were all having a hellish time with Zimbabwe, you, know, you were like, you suckers, look at what I'm going to play with. And then we went and saw him an hour later, and he was just going, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> I'm melting. Like, so has this got like head-to-head -head where you can pour a litre of bleach over someone else's like... 
Pond. Uh, is, oh, that was, that, was a, that was a tasteless oh. joke, Matthew. I didn't realise we had so many Australians in the audience. <laughs> Matt actually hates reefs. That's, uh, that's a fun fact about him. Um, so I've, I've, got, I've got written down in my document here to end my explanation with reef with any questions. But I feel like you three aren't going to take those questions seriously. <laughs> Uh, but does anyone Quince. have any questions Quince. about reefs? Ava, I just, I know what you, whatever, okay, go on. What's a shrimp? <laughs> oh, the game, uh, I, I don't know. The game at no point ever told me. It's a custom, it's not, there's a kind of wingspan style hierarchy where the shrimp apparently in this game work for the parrotfish and you maybe work for the parrotfish. Basically it goes all the way to the top and the top is a parrotfish who can't eat properly. So they're the parrotfish proletariat? Is that what we're getting The parrotfish, at? parrotfish bourgeoisie, shrimp okay. proletariat. Right. Unreliable shrimp. Literally, literally. Well, they've got every and, reason and to be unreliable, <laughs> frankly. They've got In a former union. Um, honestly, though, uh, uh, I, I, it's, it's the easiest game ever to make fun of, uh, and which is why I've been doing it, because low-hanging fruit and everything. But it is genuinely really quite cool. Um, I just wasn't prepared. You ever sit down to play a board game and you realize you don't even know how to begin to play it well? Um, I got a lot of algae, I locked some coral, I ate some shrimps. Oh, that, that's the other thing, you eat the, sh the shrimps that protect the coral for you are like a garnish that sits on the coral. Oh, wow. So, the, one of the triggers for the end of the game is when someone has eaten all of their shrimp workers. Um, so, wow. anyway, Reef Encounter, it's cool. If, if, you get, if you get a chance to play it, I would say try it, because it's weird. So, they're like the glacé cherry of the sea world. Yeah. Mm. Delicious. <laughs> Uh, Mamma Mia, oh, from, from, a, from an incredibly stupid game to another incredibly stupid game. Uh, next up, uh, Tom and I are going to talk about Big Shots by Alex Randolph. It doesn't look that silly, but I think it's maybe the hardest we've laughed all year, two years, three years. It's, it was quite funny. COVID's not been like laugh a minute. No, that's very true. Um, this is Big Shot. It's a really, really mean auction game by Alex Randolph, who also goes under the design name, and I've got them written down here, J Fumby, I Fumpy. F. Fompy or L. W. Bones. That's not a joke. That's no, a it's real. real. It's real. Um, this is kind of. Yeah, it's a really nasty area control game with auctions in it. Basically, you can see these cubes uh, here on the board, but they start off in these little bins around the board, these little sets of four cubes, and players are going to be bidding on them with money. And the money is also points. The person who has the most money at the end of the game, they're the biggest shot in Big Shot Town. Uh, the game, you'll take turns bidding on these cubes, and you'll go, I bid one, I bid two, I bid three, and whoever gets the most gets to place them anywhere they want on the board. Should we say for the people at home that you're bidding on property? On property, on lots, yeah. I presume, which are going to develop into bigger cubes. So on this board, like, we've, you've got this arrival at the bottom, Big Shot Bay. Is this like these, these, these containers of, of goods arriving to be distributed to the people of Big Shot? They're containers of you. That's true, I actually. I beg your pardon? <laughs> <laughs> They're containers of what now? They're containers of you, because if you manage, if you get you all over a place, then you... <laughs> well... It's a family show. First live show. <laughs> we were so specific about what you could and couldn't do during live shows, Tom. We spent hours... Hours... <laughs> I know you splashed me all over town without my consent. <laughs> I'm just imagining a montage where we're like telling Tom what to do and it's just a whiteboard with the word <laughs> ejaculate on it and a big no. <laughs> Quinns, I have spent 10 years telling you what you are not allowed and not allowed to do during live shows. <laughs> Ava, you got... No. no <laughs> anyway, uh, basically, if you... Oh, God. If you, <laughs> if you manage to place seven of your cubes in a region, that region will get you that 
the points well, on that region. Not your cubes, because anyone's cubes, right? Seven cubes oh, total. Yeah. Okay, seven cubes total. That triggers the scoring for that region. Whoever has the majority gets that many points at the end of the game. 11, 10, whatever. Uh, however, if there's a tie, whoever's left over gets the space. So you, And in a three-player game, you also have the grey uh, ghost player, which we had fun making fun of then in a way that I can't remember or we, make entertaining we life. We imagined that uh, the, there was a ghost property developer who was sort of haunting buildings we and, were all trying to buy. And absolutely schooling us at it as well. <laughs> yeah. like, it was ferocious. I should point out, we were quite jet-lagged at this point in the week. <laughs> yes. Um, but as soon as there are seven cubes that it scores and whoever get, and you get that many points at the end of the game and yep, your ties in majority, whatever. However, you start this game with $10. Big shot! Uh, and you, you may bid, you know, on your first turn, you're like, I bid one, I bid two, I bid three. And you get to like $4 and you're like, that's a lot of my money. So at some point, you might want to take out some debt, which are what those little minus 10 tokens are. You take minus 10 worth of debt, that's 10, minus 10 points at the end of the game, and you get $9 for it. Uh, the thing that's fun about this is you can do this in the middle of an auction. You must do this you in the middle. You must of an do it in the middle of an auction. So in a bidding, it would be like, Quinns would be like, I bid one, I bid two, Quinns I bid three, and I go, Give me, give me one sec. <laughs> Any spare dollars? And then we would come back, and I would then bid up again, and it would just be this horrible like exchange of these nasty, nasty loans. And it's just delightful. It's the, it's the first loan you... T so, obviously, money is points at the end of the game, but the first loan you take, you, yeah, you, get, you lose 10 points and you gain $9. The next loan, <laughs> you lose 10 points and you get $8. The next loan, you lose 10 points, you get seven dollars. So it's this, it becomes increasingly excruciating, and players are routinely trying to drive up bidding, but it's, it's the, oh, it's, it was just the hilarity of saying to someone, I bid five, and they go, I bid six, oh, oh no, and then they take a loan and go, okay, I bid seven. But then if you drive it up higher, then you can force them to take another loan? Yes. Yeah. This, this was the horror we saw when I came in and, and saw uh, Peter, friend of who was playing it with these, these guys, and he explained to me this system, and the fact that you can't just be like, yeah, I'll pay this much and then work out the loans later, but just kept having to take these live loans that were increasingly worse. And he was like, I just took out four loans to try and win an auction and I didn't even win it. So it's basically, it's like, just means like, I'm now just hugely in debt and I've got nothing. We were joking that the loan mechanic is calling your dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, gee, dad, oh, th these auctions really heating up. I need, and then your dad just gives you less and less money every time. While someone at the front with a hammer is like, are they still on the phone? Are they on the phone again? <laughs> is that the same phone? It's a different phone call? Are you serious? But then over the course of the game, you're like getting these lots and they're like banked money for the end of the game and obviously the money in your hand is worth some cash too. We had a pretty good idea that Quinns was winning for the entire game and at the end we're like counting up the scores and Quinn, we go, how much you got Quinns? And he goes, 30. And then it comes around to me. Bear in mind we start with 11. It comes around to me and I go, 11. <laughs> we start. Yeah, yeah we, you crunched for an hour and made one dollar. <laughs> It but was it worth every cent. Could have been worse because Peter crunched for an hour and went from a starting pot of $10 to negative $3. <laughs> Invested in property for an hour and walked away with in debt somehow. Yeah, horribly in debt because of the huge spread of minus 10s that were sitting in front of him at the end of the game. Oh, it was so, so fun. And so mean. So Also, we should stress the lots that you're bidding on of cubes that you then place on the board, uh, because they're randomly distributed, you'll roll the dice to see what lot you're bidding on. And it might be a, a, a lot that's entirely your colours. Yep. So you'll think, oh, that's great. Surely no one else will be interested in placing my cubes on the board. Turns out your opponents are very interested in placing <laughs> your cubes on the board. It's just the horrific thing of trying to outbid your opponents for something that should be yours. Every single roll of the dice, you'd roll it and you'd see what lot comes up and everyone went, <laughs> Every single time.
Oh, God, yeah. No, so Big Shot um, was originally a... Oh, when did it come out? 2003? I think it was around then, 2003. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, uh, but this is a new edition that's been published. A lovely-looking new edition, uh, picked up by an Italian publisher. And unfairly, I think it's currently available in Italy and Korea. Um, well, it's, so, it's not uh, unfair if you live in Italy or Korea. Oh, you yeah, know, you're oh, right. Oh, no, it still is unfair. Ignore what? me. Why is it? Why it's is like it? the unicorn maths again. It's unfair uh, for everybody else. Sure. I'm not here. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, if, if you're listening, Italian publisher who publishes Big Shot, please get distribution in the UK because I want to buy Big Shot. Cause I want to buy it it's, too. It's very good. One of the best, sim like it's a great auction game. It's a great area control game. And the rules fit on like a single piece of paper. Uh, really, really lovely, lovely stuff. Uh, speaking of small boxes that are really good and also not really available yet, should we talk about Longshot? Mm. Oh, sorry. Longshot the dice game. Longshot. Um, Longshot the dice game is a game of rolling a couple of dice, and then writing a couple of things on a thing. It's a roll and write game. I just invented it. It's a new <laughs> genre. Uh, but this one has horses. And crucially, the thing about this game is you can play it with tons of people, and we were not expecting it to get as good as it got with large groups, especially because one of the key things about how this game is played, that I'm just going to get out right out the paddock straight away, is the fact that you have to take it in turns to do things. It's not a case of everyone rolls the dice and then everyone does something on their little board. Everybody does something, but you go around in a circle one by one choosing what you're going to do. And we played this with maybe eight people, seven? Seven. Seven people. And you assume with seven people, that's going to be quite slow. And Have you explained this as a horse betting game? No. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going in with that first because I think it's crucial for understanding whether or not you want to get into it. But this is a game. I did mention it's got horses, didn't I? Yeah, but you could be doing anything with those horses. You could be rolling dice and then... Not anything. Moving around. a family show. Um, <laughs> it's a horse betting game. Thanks. All right. Now, the way it works is nobody at the beginning of the game owns any of the horses, but you do have some cheap free bets on a couple of horses. So you look at your little card you get given, and you go, oh, I've got a little flutter on this one, a little flutter on that one. I'm happy. And then you want to decide what you're going to try and get behind for the rest of the game. Because whenever you roll a number that represents a horse, you can choose to do a whole variety of different things with that horse. Maybe you want to uh, put a jersey on it to make it so that you're promoting another horse on that put, horse. putting jumpers on horses while they are racing. Yes. And this is why like, I didn't lead with this is a horse betting game, because I don't think it is. I think it's <laughs> fabulous, but it's not. It's it's got so little to do with betting on horses, in a way, other than what it looks like. Other than the fact that you bet on horses. Yep. <laughs> it's a hill I'll die on. I know it doesn't make any sense, but here we are. So, effectively, the game is, in trying to work out every time one of the horses that you are excited about gets rolled, whether or not you want to be using those rolls to be adding more money onto the bets that you hope that horse will actually win, or whether or not you want to actually be spending those rolls to improve the chances that that horse is going to win. You might want to buy that horse. You can be like, oh, number four's rolled. I'm going to buy number four. It's my horse now. And that means if that horse wins or comes second or third, you're going to get extra cash. But you also get a special horse bonus power, which we are not going to get into. <laughs> but what is wonderful about this is the fact that in normal horse betting, I think it's safe to agree, you bet on the horse race and then the race happens and then you see what <laughs> happens, right? That's, that's a standard mechanic, right? You can't, for say, instance, bet halfway through a horse race and say, I think that one's going to win. <laughs> and they go, yeah, all right. Um, in this, you can. Uh, in this, you can. And there's, of course, there is a limitation to this. There's a point around the board where you, they've got too far, they're very close to the finish line, 
you can't place any more bets on that horse because it's, it's almost crossed the finish line. Until somebody uses a power that makes a horse go backwards around the track, <laughs> at which point everyone can load as many bets as they can possibly get out of their pockets onto that horse before it slides back over that line and maybe wins. So really, the game itself became this bizarre, like, crowd mentality thing, right, Eva? Um, yeah, and there's loads of things to encourage that as well. Like the fact that like, some, you roll the dice, it's your turn, you roll the dice, and you get the first decision about what to do. But that first decision sets the tone for everybody else as they go around the thing. So there mm. is just this thing of like, if you, roll, if you decide to bet on something, everyone's like, ooh, Ava's behind that. I'm mm -hmm. going gonna, gonna to get on Ava's horse. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and then, and then there's just that, like, you, it, at that game in particular, like absolutely descended into just like, completely intense hype and ridiculousness and like full on to the moon like let's manipulate this market like and everyone just being upset the the horses different likelihoods that they're going to come up and they're going to be able to move forward the least likely horse to win if enough people around the table become convinced that the eight is going to win it's going to win <laughs> which is exactly what happened <laughs> and yeah we had seven people around a table and you saw a photo of the earlier all standing around just being very gentle um, and being like, oh, let's read all the different powers of all the different horses that we might want to buy. Then everyone forgot to take any photos of Longshot throughout <laughs> the entire game because everyone was just losing their minds. Most of the evening was spent with us just chanting, eight, 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 <laughs> as increasingly a cabal of people who were basically fixing the race um, made it so that the least likely to win horse won the race. And it but, did. But it wasn't just like a cabal, it was like a slowly growing cult. Yep. And like when that was one person, two people, it was like, oh, we can ignore those. But then, then a third person yes. gets on. And then a fourth person goes, and you don't want to be the last person getting in the cult train. I was, I was so angry. Like I got, this is just how I play board games, but as more and more people started pushing A, I started getting more and more sulky. It's like, oh, okay, well, uh, maybe I can do something, but oh no, they're going to... And then I just had that realization of like, wait, I can bet on eight as well. Yes. And then it became pointless because when everyone has bets on eight, then you theoretically shouldn't have wanted eight to win. However, emotionally, you're very invested in <laughs> well, eight winning. Also, then, then you get to the weird wiggle space that made the game fun. And the fact that it's like, well, technically, I was the one who was a big pusher of the eight clan of being like, you didn't come on, own everyone. horse eight, though. I did. Oh, you did? I owned or yeah, horse yeah. eight. And that's why I was like, hey, I've just bought this horse. It's kind of like on the way to being glue, but we could make it shine. Come on, everybody, <laughs> get on board. And then gradually, because other people basically were like, okay, yeah, I've got a starting bet on eight as well. I'll come along. And then the hype gradually spread. And, it, and the more people chanted eight, the more people came to believe that it might win. And then they thought, well, maybe I should put a bet on it. And then as soon as they put a bet on it, they're like, well, maybe I should help to promote the horse so it goes around the yeah. race quicker. Until it did become this inescapable tsunami of hype that Quinn's had to kind of bend to. It, it was truly cult-like in that you had the horse and you let everyone conveniently forget that you owned it. And someone else was like, yeah, I believe in eight. And it was, and the, but there was also, but like, also it didn't matter because I was at the start being like, if I can get this horse to win, I'm going to win 25 pounds. <laughs> and then it's like, well, how much do you get if it does win for putting a bet of three coins onto it? And it's like, uh, three times nine. And you're like, oh gosh. <laughs> and it suddenly became clear that like somebody who just bet like a bit more money on it than I'd spent on the horse was going to win dramatically more money than I would for having the horse. But it, that was the problem was that, I, that you, I looked around the table at all of these people like obsessively going eight, 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 eight. And like none of you had actually bet that much. And yeah. it was the person who spotted that and was like, ah, 
I can just go in harder on this and it'll all be fine. Yeah, well, got up to a silly score. So, like, in terms of my math gambly brain, the thing that I really liked about this is you spend your turn moving horses backwards or forwards, but as everyone is spending their turns pushing eight, the other player you're talking about, Ava, just spent all those turns betting on eight instead, yeah, 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 which yeah. was terrific because it means you can manipulate the race, but that doesn't actually help you to get more or less no, points. No. And really, again, that's why I thought this was wonderful but outside of the visage of what it looks like, it, it felt like, and I can understand why it isn't a game about this, because it would be quite dull, but it's basically like stock markets and, and stock market hype, and it feels so relevant in 2021 more than ever in the fact that, yeah, it's like this pyramid scheme thing of people being like, I'm really into this, and I'm doing all this, and then someone else is making a lot of money off it. Like, someone's being like, I'm buying four Teslas, and then someone else is like, cool for you, I'm, I'm buying and dumping all of this stock and making money from it. It's, it was this bizarre cult that we did manage to just force the price of eight to just to the moon um, but then yeah like not many people benefited from it that much <laughs> except for the one person who was very quiet in yeah the very quietly <laughs> just making money on it um, but yeah, again I think I had a similar game the second game that you had if I had this crushing realization in the second game where I was trying to do it like by the books just buy a horse yeah. bet on the horse a bit do your best to promote the horse and hope that it wins but because no one else cared about my horse <laughs> It didn't matter. It's like you come to a realization where it's like there's no way other than blind, yeah. complete luck. But even then, no. And this is what's <laughs> interesting about it being a stock market game, right? Is that it's a stock market game in that it's an incredibly social game. Like it looks like it's numbers and betting and things, and it's not. It's like how can I work this table or how can I get someone else to work this table so that I can just quietly go in the background and all of that manipulation. I will say the other contrast to that is that like I'm pretty sure that like 80% of the games we played over the last week, Matt had a little bit where he's like, oh, this is just a perfect representation of capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was that horrible thing of realizing that, like, okay, like, I, can't, I can't do this. And again, even when, again, poor Peter, who had his horse that he put money on and no one else cared about, but he just kept rolling it. It kept being like, oh, my horse! And it was just shooting around the track just by rolling the dice. But because no one else wanted that horse to win, everyone just spent all of their little roll and right powers to just, just repeatedly shunt it back. But they hold it back. Like, no, that horse can't come near here. It is a very back and forthy horse race. Like, can horses run backwards? Well, I guess it kind of represents the flow of the, you know, who's going to win. But... It represents capitalism, though. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I think... What I liked about it, as you say, Avery, is it was social, but it didn't feel like social like in the way that those things can often be brash and have people being bullies about stuff. Yeah. It was more that nobody wanted to invest in something that wasn't in their interests. Yeah. So no one was going to convince anyone to do it. But then one by one, as people started to kind of maybe go, but what if there is an outside chance that this might come in top three? You think, maybe I'll put a link, little thing on it. And it was much more a game, and that's why I found it quite stock markety, because yeah. it was more about just observing what was happening and observing the subtle change of when people are like, this is junk, don't bother with their horse, to being like, well, hang on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> They've just put a little, a, little, a little flutter on this horse and seeing the wind turning and then getting in at the right point. But I, I do think most of us played it on a pretty purely gut level, which was then when there's this weird moment when a horse goes over the no-bet line and then comes back to just before it, it's like a feeding frenzy. Yeah. Because everyone's seen that horse get right up to the level and they're like, that one's going to win now. It's going to win! And they put all their money on it and then it just slowly drags back in the race as something else pulls forward. Yeah. It's, it's odd. <laughs> it was really odd and especially odd in the fact that it's trying to do that clean roll and right thing of being like, oh, the powers you can use. You've got the jockey hat or the jockey jersey for that colour of thing. If you get the jockey hat for that colour of horse, then you means you can place bets on it after it's past the line. But then it's like, if you use 
If you do the jockey jersey for that horse, then you can promote another horse on that horse. So every time that horse gets rolled, you, the other horse gets to move forward a little bit. But I loved in the theme of it because it basically just meant that lots of people seemed to spend the whole time just going around town being like, hey, mister, can you promote my horse on your horse jersey? But it's not going around town. It's running around the racetrack to try and convince <laughs> this jockey that they're going to do Have it. Have we mentioned that the way, in terms of just the like absolute nonsense that this game is, the way you actually move horses backwards and forwards is by visiting the concession stand. <laughs> like I mean, you yeah. go and buy four hot dogs and one of the horses goes, oh no, and gets suctioned back <laughs> about 20 yards. None of it makes sense, if I'm entirely oh, honest. Also, if you buy enough stuff at the confession stand, concession stand, you get a free horse. You do. You just own it. <laughs> Can I have a little glass of fizzy drink and a horse? Um, so that's Long Shot, the dice yeah. game. Long Shot, the dice game. We really like that one. Uh, it's not out yet. It'll be coming out next year. And I think we'll be doing a little video review, maybe, possibly. It's a pretty, it's a pretty fascinating and exciting and, and, and silly thing. Uh, definitely was way more interesting than I was expecting. So... That's, oh, another, a... <laughs> that's another picture of the flipping egg. That's a picture of the slide. That's what the sheet looks like. If you can see that live, imagine yourself playing that and not really understanding what's going on. Wild. <laughs> um, and finally, now we're just going to end today's podcast um, with a little, uh, a little thing. And I just ask everybody if we could just not have any cameras for this section of the show because I've got some stuff. Quite what's exciting. going on here? <laughs> um, just some stuff I want to show about. And but. I'm a bit concerned about privacy at this point, so if we could just not have any photographs for this final section, that would be fabulous. So, <laughs> I just want to ask you the question. Oh, no. What if you had dreamed a dream to change the world? And that dream had to be adapted in the face of severe financial scrutiny. Well, ladies and gentlemen, and anyone and everyone in between, I'd like to provide to you today the Spatch Tower 2.0 backer update. All of you as backers of the Spatch Tower, for those of you who don't know, the Spatch Tower is, of course, a 3D dimensional. It's a, it's a dice tower entirely made of spatulas. It's not, um, Tom Bassel has nothing to do with this. He wants to make that very clear. He doesn't want to be mentioned, even, as part of this. Um, and effectively, it was, a, it was a thing. You'd all paid us a lot of money. We're going to send you a, a dice tower made of spatulas. Now, unfortunately, there have been some setbacks to this, as you'd understand. Come on, we've got to be understanding with one another. It's a difficult time. Uh, we've had some plastic-based shape and form issues. We used the wrong kind of plastic. Uh, they had to stay in shipping containers in, containers in China for a while, and they've all kind of melded into one large piece of plastic, which has proved to be an issue with getting them out to you folks. We had some company vehicle issues. As I mentioned last time, the yacht um, <laughs> hit some rocks, uh, so we've had to kind of get that. Uh, the insurance, not going to get into that. Is this to do with those channels in Slack I can't go into? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's for the best. It's, it's to do with liability. I think, you're in, I think you're kind of insulated. Probably not. <laughs> And then general overheads, of course, were larger than expected um, this year. I should actually have a typo, it's general overhead. He's, uh, I shouldn't really mention this, it's just rude. Um, okay, uh, I know what you're asking. The Spatch Tower, where did my $300,000 go? Now, this might look like exactly the same graph that I presented to you in 2019 in the same room, but as you can see on the slide, it says 2021 edition. So this is new, this is all new. And I want to ask you the question again. What if you had one day to change the world again. And even though the last time you had one day to change the world again, the world didn't change and 99% of the money was effectively lost. <laughs> but if you had one day, what would you dream? It's the shut up and sit down spatch token, a new paradigm in the merchandiser verse. Now, 
please don't take any photographs of this. Because <laughs> you don't own it, okay? <laughs> I'm asking you today, and there's a lot of you here, get your wallets out. We're all friends here. Get your wallets out. $100,000 gets you 0.1% of Matt's Shut Up and Sit Down Spatch Token. I own the Spatch Token. But you can have a part of that Spatch Token. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. <laughs> and that is 100% yours for life, terms and conditions apply. Please, no photographs of this. <laughs> Nobody has bought this particular one yet. If you'd like it, you can have it. So please don't take any photographs of this, because it's not yours. And I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. What's the catch? What's the catch? <laughs> the dreams we dream may grow and change, but the hearts we have will always be, be the same. With a beautiful future and collaboration and understanding, we can shape the world together. The value of your heart may change despite growth, and your capital and family may be at risk. That's the Start Sit Down live podcast. Thank you so much for everyone for coming. Give it up for Tom. Give it up for Ava. Give it up for Gwyneth Smith. And finally, give me $100,000. <laughs>